Welcome, everybody. Delighted to see everybody here. What can I say about Jeff Deist? Well, the Mises Institute needed a president. Jeff was available. <laughs> uh, no, look, no, we all know Jeff is a, is a truly great man. He was the very last chief of staff for Ron Paul. He has led the Mises Institute very capably. Uh, there's been great growth, the addition of the master's program, and he's the sort of person whose opinions instantly persuade me and whose opinions I always seek out on important matters. So the Mises Institute is extremely lucky to have him. And so, ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Deist. Thanks very much, Thomas. It's great to see everybody this morning. Uh, we're really very, very grateful to have all of you here. And with the last year that we've all had, just simple things like conferences and travel and the social element of being together with like-minded people, I think has taken on a, a really a sort of new meaning. So it was actually about almost exactly a year ago, we were right here and we were in the midst of this unfolding coronavirus panic and many things which are clear now, in hindsight, were not so clear last March. And as we started to understand what was going on, it reminded me of the days after 9-11, if you recall that sort of fog of war, in the sense that we weren't so much worried about the virus, we were worrying about what government was going to do. And I think that's turned out to be true. So not surprisingly, government acted in what we might say is an atavistic manner. So the, the response from politicians was to apply the oldest technology in the book, namely quarantines and lockdowns, even to perfectly healthy people. So that's the difference, the first time in really in human history. So college administrators, being the timid types that they are, soon followed suit, and we found out and began to realize that a lot of our keynote speakers and presenters would be unable to travel or to attend. So really for the first time, the only time since its inception, in the 1980s, we were forced to cancel our research conference last year. And so we're thrilled to hold it this year, but still muted in a sense that our Asian, Brazilian, and European colleagues are unable to join us and hold some of the panels that we were very much looking forward to. But nonetheless, as far as last year goes, we're very proud as an organization that we continued to hold live events throughout the year after that. Uh, they were all very well attended. Uh, eagerly attended. We were perhaps the only organization of our kind, of our type in the United States to do so last year. And honestly, uh, some of those events almost felt like dissident gatherings uh, because the, uh, you know, we had to sort of work around uh, uh, various venues and various restrictions and that sort of thing. But nonetheless, we were able to do it. So one important lesson from 2020, I think, was the benefit of owning a physical brick and mortar facility like this because it gave us the ability to, uh, to not only host events, but it really served as an oasis for us. And we've been very fortunate in Auburn that we were able to come here without masks and distancing and all that sort of thing. So the, the Institute itself has taken on new meaning in that sense. As far as this conference goes, it's unique. It's very interesting to me as a lay person to listen to uh, some of the scholarship and, and get some of these ideas. But it's really about promoting and continuing the tradition of economic theory which we, of course, believe is actually the primary job for economists. You might not know that. That's the idea behind this conference. But if you spend much time reading what I guess we could call pop economics, which is what takes place, uh, you, you're familiar with FinTwit, financial Twitter, econ Twitter, 
the kind of uh, stuff you read in Bloomberg Opinion, uh, Paul Krugman's blog in the New York Times. We could sort of put all that together and call it pop economics. If you spend any time reading pop, pop economics, you'll find very quickly that theory is viewed rather dismissively and that data is viewed re reverentially. And so everything starts with the numbers. You know, we've got to look at the numbers, and then we work backward from there to reverse engineer an explanation for the numbers. And there's actually a related, uh, I guess we could call it a controversy around this, in the uh, world of critical theory. Some of you may have followed that there was a sort of a kerfuffle for a, a period on Twitter about this idea that 2 plus 2 equals 5. And the idea behind this was that, you know, uh, reality is not as objective as the sort of rationalist enlightenment people have led us to believe. And we have to rethink all of this in the, in the brave new world of America. So I think two plus two equals five. There is an analogy here with economics. It's fitting in a sense because so many economists seem to want to be mathematicians. But we've witnessed the wholesale injection of identity and personal experience into math into mathematics. And if we think that's not coming for economics, I think we're crazy. So what 2 plus 2 equals 5, it asserts that we can no longer simply say, well, math, Jeff, is, is an abstract science which describes an existing underlying reality. Well, no, no, no. Instead, we have to say, well, whether 2 plus 2 equals 4 actually depends. It depends on your identity, maybe, or where you're from, or your life experiences, or the color of your skin, or your personal form of logic. There's actually a guy named James Lindsay, who's a mathematician, whom Tom Woods has interviewed on his show, who really took, done some, some uh, heroic work combating this idiocy on Twitter, and, and took a lot of grief for it. But I think it's filtering through, and, and there was recently an article by Niall Ferguson in Bloomberg. He has been hired to, to do a bi-weekly opinion column, generally on economics for Bloomberg Opinion. And this is just a couple of weeks ago. It was called, The Fed Doesn't Fear Inflation, Its Critics Have Longer Memories. So I said, well, this sounds like a good article. I like the title anyway. And of course, Ferguson, for those who follow him, is a brilliant, very interesting guy, mostly a historian in his day job. He's actually good on World War I, which is interesting, he's bad on Kissinger, okay. But he had some important skirmishes with Paul Krugman back around 2013 over what quantitative easing was going to do and whether uh, the financial crisis made the case for austerity. Uh, Krugman, of course, vociferously op offered the other case. And so the left attacked him soundly back in that period. And th at the time, of course, the slur was that he's a neoliberal. That's 2013, which might as well be 100 years ago. I think today he's probably been upgraded to fascist. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, when I, as I read this article about inflation, hopefully, uh, it seems that he's gun-shy maybe from his public experience with Krugman. The, the whole article was an experience about fretting about the data. You know, we can't actually know whether the insane machinations of Jerome Powell and company in 2020 will be a bad thing or not. We have to kind of wait and, and look for the numbers. You know, maybe two plus two will equal five this time around. That's the sense you got from the article. And this is from Niall Ferguson, who's, again, a brilliant man. We can't know anything definitively. We can hold a set of assumptions, but they can just be proven or disproven away by the next crash or the next boom. 
That's the takeaway. And that's why all of you are so important in this room. Someone has to provide a baseline of economic theory from which to analyze all these pronouncements and statistics with which we're bombarded and to counter this terrible orthodoxy, which is now basically manifesting itself in pop economics. So maybe theory is the new specialization in economics. And that's really, I think, the role of all of you. We're so thrilled to host you and we're so appreciative that you're here this weekend with us. Thank you. Peter.